Welcome to the Asian Heart Mind Body Collective. I'm Adele Ray. And I'm Danielle Jung. We're here to bring essential healing to Asian communities and beyond. This podcast holds sacred circle for everyday people by integrating mindfulness practice, cross-cultural ritual, and storytelling. With the tools of our own medicine, we unearth the impact of intergenerational trauma, unravel the deeper connection between all things, and explore the spiritual mystery of simply living every day in our beautiful Asian bodies. Join us and dive deeply into the discovery of our own medicine and heart-mind-body awareness. From childhood inquiries about death to spiritual expeditions through greater Los Angeles in their youth to a spiritual butt-kicking as an adult in the corporate world, we journey through Inabel Wee Taibo's story and their connection to the ancestors. Curiosities are not coincidences. We also hear insights about Annabelle's somatic forgiveness work and their ancestral wayfinding collective. All right. Well, it brings me such deep joy to introduce our special guest today, Inabel B. Witaipo, pronouns they, shia. Inabel is a queer, Philippine ex Chinese somatic forgiveness practitioner, artist, teacher, animist, and forever student. Inabel began a healing arts practice after becoming a Buddhist meditation student and teacher. Inabel is an intuitive, trained body worker and also a certified transpersonal hypnotherapist. They collaborate with community to offer trauma-informed programs, care shops, circles, and retreats via somatic mindfulness and ancestral wayfinding, focusing on topics like anti-racism, grief, anger, forgiveness, and ancestral communication. They are also one of five co-conveners for the cross Racial Solidary Grassroots Organization, People's Collective for Justice and Liberation. Welcome, Inabel. So glad to have you here. Woohoo! Inabel. Inabel. <laughs> so honored to be with both of you. Thank you for having me. Yes. So we spoke earlier prior to this podcast episode, and I got to learn more about you. And wow, the breadth and depth of your experience. I feel like you've lived multiple lifetimes in one. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a few things we wanted to talk about um, before we get into the current work you're, you're doing right now. I was wondering if you could talk about your relationship to death and when did you start studying it? Well, death has been a strong curiosity for me since I was in elementary school. I grew up Catholic and I went to Sunday school after being really inspired by my grandmother, her devout inspiration, her connection to God. And so I thought, ooh, I want some of that. (laughs) So I decided to really dive deep into Catholicism and started to go to Sunday school. And my Sunday school teacher was teaching us some sacraments. And so I asked him, what happens after you die? And he just looked at me super perplexed (laughs) and was like, uh, we we don't teach that, you know, and, and I was really dissatisfied with that answer. And I made up my mind that I was going to find out myself. And so I started to go to the elementary school library <laughs> looking for books. And how old were you? I was like nine, I want to say. And <laughs> so I just I was really frustrated because there was, I found, and I didn't really find much in the library, so I had to let it go for a little bit. But then uh, once I got to junior high, the public library close to my junior high, which is, was also a high school, had a lot of books on metaphysics. So I started to pile up the table with books on life after death anything metaphysical, anything about dying, anything about what happens. And so, yeah, so I was just really exploring it since then and we checked out piles of books. Interesting. Inabel, there's something you like to say about curiosities. What was that again? <laughs> well, curiosities are not coincidences. What does that mean to you? To me, it's at this point in my life, I know that it's 
a combination of a spiritual calling, a ancestral reminder from the past, present, or future. And so it's really about listening, experiencing messages, and taking them. It's not about taking them seriously, but taking notice and following. And I found that the more that I've followed curiosities, the more they lead me to where I need to go. And so it's not just a coincidence when things arise, especially if they are recurring themes that keep coming up. So it's been really important for me. So your curiosity about death was not a coincidence? No, no, it's really led me down my path and really feel like they were just reminders of who I was, who I was to become. I really feel like everything that I've had strong curiosities about since I was really young have keep showing up, you know, little messages from the past future, you know. (laughs) Interesting. So this curiosity about death, is that what led you to start studying Tibetan Buddhism? Or is that like another just kind of thing? Yeah. <laughs> you did it in high school, right? So can you, can you just share like, oh, so you were in middle school doing the whole metaphysics thing, and you were like studying death, and you were getting into all that stuff. And then, and then boom, then you went to high school. And then what happened there? I just started meditating very seriously, doing a lot of uh, powerful visualizations now that I'm looking back. And then I started formally studying Paramahansa Yogananda's work. I read the autobiography of the yogi and the ashram for Paramahansa Yogananda was in my neighborhood. So I literally was going there as a high school student in the late 80s, early 90s with my best friend who was Gujarati, which is an Indian background. And so she and I were really deeping dive into Swamiji's studies. And I even signed up for his formal training. And so I was receiving training and practicing his meditation practices. And then I met a Zen Buddhist teacher who I was doing yoga with. And he was like this Japanese guy hiding in the mountains at the foothills of the ashram. I swear it was like being on an expedition, but in my own hometown, (laughs) like a spiritual expedition. And then I was going to college and my elementary school friend saw me at the college and we instantly became friends again. And she was like, I really need you to meet Dexter. And I was like, who's okay? And she was so insistent upon it. And you know how people say it casually and they're like, oh, you should meet so-and-so. And you don't really think that much of it. Yeah, like, thanks. You know, and she's like, no, you must, you must meet Dexter. And she made the biggest deal about it. And then she finally coordinated it. And Dexter wanted to meet at a meditation class. And this is where I found my Buddhist meditation teacher, Kelsang Lekma, who is a Tibetan Buddhist nun. Well, she was an English nun, but she was studying Tibetan Buddhism. And I just couldn't stop going to her classes. And I got a little confused because I really thought I was Guruji, Swamiji, Paramahansa Yogananda student. And I prayed to him and he's like, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So I was like, okay, then I need to find my teacher if you're not my main teacher. And so I kept following her like a groupie. And I was going to meditation classes multiple times a week by this point, like driving all over greater Los Angeles, I'd go to the west side, I go to the, uh, to the beach, everywhere. And I found myself just meditating all the time with her and studying more formally all over the world eventually, quitting my job at a 
cushy corporate job <laughs> and just like started gallivanting all over the world. Wow. Mm-hmm. So my curiosity, you know, Belle is what, what was it that supported you, you know, to seek out these things and to, to feel, I'm assuming that just the confidence and the support in some way that it was all okay, that you could follow your heart's curiosities. I really have to attribute it to that moment of seeing my grandmother, Saturnina Sarate. She took her handkerchief out of her pocket and was sweeping this statue, this, you know, Catholic statue, and just her reverence and connection really opened my heart to something otherworldly and that feeling of connection really made an imprint on me in this life and so I think I've just been longing for that and when I started to feel glimpses of that and feel it permeate my entire being. And for uh, the, the logic of the cosmology of Buddhism and Dharma making sense to me, it just clicked, clicked, clicked. And, and it was that familiarity of that knowing and the familiarity of that connection really just led me to craving more of that. I would feel normal (laughs) when I was in those spaces, you know, like that sense. I think we all want this sense of belonging and that spiritual connection really satisfied that internal longing. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, Belle, just, I could just imagine your grandmother's hands on that statue. You've talked about before this remembrance that we can experience when we touch into our connection with our ancestors. I imagine as young as you were that there was something really special in this witnessing of your grandmother and what she helped you remember in yourself at that moment. Could you share more about about that? Yeah. I think you're thinking of this story where I was looking at my hands and I was sitting in the bathroom of all places (laughs) and I was looking at my hands and I remember thinking or not even thinking it was more like hearing in my mind that my hands were going to be really important. And I remember that because I remember thinking that's, those, that's not what I'm thinking. <laughs> I was just a kid. I don't know. I must have been like a young teen or a tween or something. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. My hands are going to be really important. And But I really took it as information that was going to be valuable. And it stayed with me. And it wasn't until I was really fed up working at a different corporate job that I was doing the artist's way and I was taking little artist trips with myself and one of them was to go explore this bodywork class. And I really didn't want to be an Asian massage therapist. (laughs) You know, I was like, I grew up watching movies that were of Vietnam and, you know, the objectification of Asian women. And I did not want to answer someone's question of what do you do with, oh, I'm a massage therapist because of the stigma. It was enough that I already came from a theater background. So I was like really trying to escape this pigeonholing for a lack of a better word. But when I went to the class, I felt so at home 
I was like, whoa, these are my people. These are other healers. These are other complex people that want to understand the human condition. So I got into hands-on healing and then I found out just this last year that my other grandmother, Dolores Menor Sin Fuego, was a healer practitioner in Ilocos Norte. And I was just like, what? Wow. To my mother. And and the other thing was I, as a body worker, I specialized in women's health, reproductive health, digestive health. And my mother said, oh, yeah, well, I don't know. I said, mom, why didn't you tell me? I was like, have you not been paying attention to what I've been doing? And she said, oh, well, yeah. I, why would I say that to you? <laughs> you know, moms are. Right. And, and she said, oh, well, yeah. And her sister was a midwife. Wow. And I was like, excuse me, I've been doing, <laughs> I've been doing hands-on healing. Like she said, oh yeah, people would have a stomach ache and they would come to the house and she would do healing with them. And people would come with, they, you know, sprain their ankle. And I'm like, mom, I'm, I'm like a body worker. <laughs> like, why didn't you tell me any of this? So it was really like when I was looking at my hands, I really feel like, my ancestors were telling me your hands are going to be important and it's a very like non-linear way of receiving messages and so I would say if you're not hearing your own voice in your own mind and you're hearing something or you're experiencing something or you're noticing something that you weren't looking at, but you're noticing it, pay attention. Hmm. It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. Curiosities are not a coincidence. Yeah, that's amazing. Like these messages at such a young age, these connections that you have with your ancestors, telling you, reminding you of what you have, your gifts. It's beautiful. I think I just want to give a shout out to your grandmothers mm, right now. Thank you. Yeah, just bring in their spirit, their energies, their wisdom, mm. and thank them for blessing us mm. here. Thank you. And yeah, and anyone who gets to listen to this conversation. kind of had this like dream job corporate job and then you were like nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so funny I I've always excelled at corporate work all of that comes really easy to me I always get a like an office job and then I get promoted and then I get promoted again and that made my parents really happy if I could have that material success but I kept on the side, right, pursuing a spiritual life and pursuing my personal evolution. And it wasn't until I got my spiritual ass kicked by a boss that was treating me so badly that I had to leave that I allowed myself to explore this body work and the kindness of my ex-husband led me to be able to take that time and really commit to that work. So I'm grateful for that. And then I finally was able to step into who I really was. And actually, even when I was doing the body work from the beginning, I was trying to make it so clinical. Oh, the kind of work that I'm doing has case studies that prove that this works. And I would hide the healer aspect, the spiritual healer. And I would put up this clinical facade, like, oh, this is legitimate work. It's medically sound. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I was, yeah. I was trying to sanitize it. And where does that come from? That is patriarchy. That is capitalism. Right. That is, you know, dominant culture trying to erase my true like healer history yeah 
And so I really had to reclaim myself. Hmm. How did you, when did you decide to like decolonize your, your work, this, this healing work? Or how did you decide or what did you do? <laughs> I was really diving into my Chinese ancestry and it became so evident that intergenerational trauma is so real. Like I was doing a bunch of anti-racism work around the Black Lives Matter movement, around dominant culture in the animal rights movement, and really trying to bring in the true stories of like, who have been vegans from the beginning, you know, like, who are who has been doing the work of the majority, right? Like, meaning the global majority. So as I was exploring my Chinese ancestry, I was like, Oh, my gosh, the Chinese were the ones who pulled all their money together to create citizenship for people that were born in the United States. So, and I'm like, why am I hearing about this in my thirties? There's a reason why we don't hear about the contributions of Asians to the wealth and welfare of citizens of this country, right? That's not part of the, the dominant narrative. So as I was discovering those truths and, and also the trauma and the horror that Chinese experience, I was like, what other stories do we not know, right? And so because of that, I started to realize as I was working with my Asian clients, I was starting to notice these patterns of trauma in my clients and that denial of oneself and that that need to assimilate hmm. and that need to assimilate was taking away energy from diving into one's own ancestry. And so because of that, I, it started seeping in my own journey started seeping into my work with my clients. And I was like, have you ever thought about <laughs> maybe this is intergenerational? Hmm. Hmm. Maybe, um, you're a black woman and you're scared to do fertility work because of the intergenerational trauma of what, you know, this country has done to black women and their reproductive systems as treating them like lab machines. Mm. So I started to bring that into my work and found that it was taking up more space than even just the ordinary like pain and fertility concerns. And then having this meditation background, as we know in Dharma, it's really like so much of this is rooted in our mind and our mindset and, and how we're responding to trauma and responding to pain and anger and sadness and so the somatic forgiveness piece was really essential to my healing all that for myself and then bringing my body work with my mindfulness practice into this forgiveness work that I was doing with my mentor I was like, how can we separate this? How, we, how can we separate that when the body is so essential hmm. to the experience of moving through a resentment? Can you, for our listeners who are not familiar, um, could you explain what um, so your somatics forgiveness work is? Yeah, so somatic forgiveness is letting go of the wish for the past to be different because we can't change the past, right? But we have this wish that it was. And so we can't forgive because we're like stuck there. And then it gets stuck in our body. And then it gets stuck in our patterns. And then it gets stuck in the way we respond to everything related to the different things that we've 
been through that we can't let go of. And since it's stuck in the body, it becomes a poison in the body. And so Buddha said, resentment is drinking poison while hoping someone else will die. Mm. And so it's so toxic. It's mm. so toxic. And so the forgiveness of letting letting go of the wish for that thing that we can't forgive from having been an experience for us, it's just like we're stuck in a loop and we're in instant replay in response to whatever it is that we can't forgive. And so the work that I do around that is to really retrace our steps and experience it from a new vantage point where we can reclaim ourselves from being stuck in that past pattern. Inabel, could you say more about what keeps people stuck? Yeah, when you're stuck, it's usually because we're in the habit of responding to things in a particular way. And we're only in that habit because we think that it's going to protect us if we stay in that response, right? So let's say I'm resentful at all white people for everything. (laughs) And every time I see a white person... I'm mad, you know, I'm like, oh, these people, why can't they da 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 And it's just like a habit, right? Mm. But the truth is not every single white person has done the things that were responding to them with that resentment. So I actually progressed to the point where I started to look at white supremacy and the resentment towards that and the poison that it was creating in my being to carry that around, right? It's like when you're doing anti-racist work and then you're like, okay, I'm only going to work with people of color and then all the white people are in trouble. And then what does that do to my heart? It's just a habit that I'm responding to folks in that way. So I literally started to whittle it down and say, okay, which white person, right? Mm -hmm. Which white person did all those things? Let's bring them all in the mental room. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Big room. Yeah, it's a big room. And then, but I I was tired of the poison in Mm. my heart of like responding like a habit to all the white people in that way. I wanted to get back to the place where it's like, oh, I can work with people of color and white people again. Right. Yeah, this is so powerful. And having gone through the process myself with you, uh, know uh, how possible it is to break the cycle of these patterns. You know, one thing that I took away from my time with you uh, was that I, I I came into it thinking that forgiveness was about the other person. Mm-hmm. And I walked out of my time with you discovering that it was really about myself and my relationship with forgiveness and forgiving myself too. Well, it's both, right? Mm-hmm. I'd like to think we created a lot of space for you to explore both sides. That's right. Because we don't, that's the spiritual bypass, right? Mm -hmm. Is like, we know how to skip over blaming somebody else. Mm -hmm. We know how to do that. So we think, oh, I'm good. I'm over it. Let me just, I should be over this by now. So it's both right? It's like we allow ourselves this space to get real with how we feel about so-and-so and then work with it from that place. Mm-hmm. And then we can come to taking responsibility because I I used Dharma against myself for decades. Mm. 
oh, I should be so happy all the time. Oh, I should love my mother because all living beings are mothers when I hated my mother. You know, it was so Mm -hmm. how am I supposed to be this good Buddhist when I'm just like self-flagellating, bringing the, you know, it it was horrible. And then this sweet monk was like, stop using Dharma against yourself. Mm. Wow. Mm. And wow. I and I it opened up a door for me to come back to my rage and my anger in a in a curious way. Right? Because mm-hmm. I just I felt guilty for being mad. I for guilt I for, felt guilty for for being jealous. I felt guilty like and it wasn't even like a Catholic guilt. It was how could I feel this way when, when I know that it's all mind, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just mm-hmm. your mind. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, it's not. It's not just my mind. It's my body too. Mm-hmm. Yes, my right. body is saying, no, I'm yeah. my mind. My body is flipping off everybody. <laughs> and then my, and then I'm sitting in meditative equipoise, right? It's like, no, the body's still saying no. Mm-hmm. So we need to stay with the body first and mm-hmm. stay with the realness of whatever it is that we're going through. And then like organically move to forgiveness. Like when we did it together, Danny, did I even ask you if you were had forgiven? <laughs> would I even talk about forgiveness? Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> that is the magic. <laughs> we got to it organically. Right. And that's the work. That's the work. Oh my gosh. Like I need to do a session with you. I, <laughs> I have so much like resentment and anger and yes. I feel it in my shoulders. And I mean, I'm glad we're having this conversation because it like talks me off the edge a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to sit and be okay with like not fight it, you know, just like not towards you. I'm just so happy to be in company with you. It's just life in general can like build up a lot of toxicity. You go outside and like all the stuff that you have to confront, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's in your workplace or just on the street or, you know, just everything. And so that accumulation. So to have tools to be able to really just kind of metabolize and kind of process and be with the body and, you know, not get stuck in those repeated loops or what's that called? Ruminating. Yeah. Cause it's so bad for your body. Like it does. I, f- you know, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 And as a body worker, trust me, I could feel it in people's bodies. Mm. Yeah. I know exactly where they get stuck. They get stuck in our liver. They get stuck in our shoulders. Yeah. They get stuck in our gut, interrupting our digestion. It's like we are angry and we are like just letting it, you know, mess with us on the inside mm-hmm. instead of transmuting it, instead of composting it. And it's because we, and this is where the ancestral wayfinding comes in, is because our cultures have been invisibilized to us, that we're having to dig it out of the grave, mm-hmm. we're having to dig it out of the vaults. Yep. And so we're so divorced and separated from our ancestral ways and the complexity of that and the wisdom and the, and the clarity of that, that we have to find it again and, and renew it. Right. It's not about romanticizing indigeneity. Like that also messes with folks. Right. So we don't, it's not about that. It's more about like, okay, like, what are the ways that work for this body that I've been born into? When I eat malungai, my body just like comes alive mm. with that nourishment. And that is because that is the food of my ancestors. Mm. 
after we've had this nice conversation, I was just wondering if there's anything that you feel like, hmm, oh, there was this one thing or if there's anything you wanted to share. Yeah, I was thinking about my forgiveness work, the somatic forgiveness, and I was doing some ancestral work and I was connecting with my grandmother, Dolores, and I was thinking, what is it that I am bringing here? Like, where is this coming from? And she so wisely took me to a time where I went to visit my grandfather at his deathbed. And I knew that there were times that I yelled at him when he was in a drunken stupor yelling at my grandmother. And I wanted him to stop. And he knew that I stood up to him. But when he was lying on his deathbed, I really wanted him to know that I forgave him for that. And so I told him, I said, Grandpa, I know that you weren't perfect, but I want you to know that I forgive you and I love you. And if you're ready to go, I am releasing you with so much love and I'm so grateful to you for my body because I wouldn't be here without you. And so I was so grateful for my grandmother reminding me of that day. And I was, and I started crying and I was like, oh my gosh, I've been doing forgiveness work for longer than I thought that I was, you know? So it's like that circular Mm. knowing of like forgetting and remembering and forgetting and forgetting lifetimes ago and then remembering and then forgetting Hmm. in this life and then remembering that it's there like the wisdom and the ancestral wisdom is there Hmm. Hmm. you just have to listen and be curious huh yeah yeah (laughs) not coincidences that's a beautiful story thank you so much so just just to like understand a little bit of your ancestral wayfinding work, if you want to share anything about that. Yeah. So ancestral wayfinding doesn't have a, a definitive definition. It's more of an, a way of exploring our connection to ancestors. So it's, it's in the, the words, right? Wayfinding, finding ways Um, to connect with our ancestors. And so everyone's going to do that a little differently. And within the Wayfinding Collective, we're going to be exploring different options to explore our connection with ancestors. Because I find people are just so exhausted from being separated from their ancestral medicine right? It's like we're plugging along, we're trying to do the things we're being asked to do in corporate life, in Western life. And it's exhausting because it's not natural, actually, (laughs) for all of us to be so productive, so exhausted all the time. And it's because we're disconnected from the different ways that our ancestors have navigated life here on earth and so the wayfinding collective is going to be offering two different ways to do ancestral wayfinding the first being amorphous pathways which are preparatory embodied journeys where you are able to connect with yourself and communicate with ancestors to, in, in very simple, tangible ways. And it's very like <laughs> customized to the way that you learn and the way that you are able to communicate. So it's not like you need to be like excelling in like psychic abilities or something, you know? I think people think like, oh, I need to be a medium to be able to communicate with ancestors and that is not true there's multiple ways to communicate with ancestors and so the amorphous pathways are to show you how you 
already are or to expand the ways that you can communicate with ancestors within yourself and within your own capabilities. And then the Wayfinding Collective is also offering the journeys for ancestral wayfinding through the We Search journeys, (laughs) which will be seasonal journeys and I call it we search because we learn together in community like everyone is going through the journey together but then there's moments where we share each of our learnings and it's in that communal learning that we're able to deepen our understanding right it's not like this way that we're taught in the global north like you are independent you need to learn everything by yourself so that you compete with other people it's like (laughs) it's like moving away from that and moving towards collective and communal learning and and through that learning it's like we're healing right naturally because collective healing is so important we search you're saying w-e- S-E-A-R-C-H. We yes, search. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Love yeah. It. Yeah. It's because we're we we are searching together, but of course it's kind of like research, right? It's like we're doing we're we're collecting and seeking out all the answers that we want to be able to stay connected with our ancestral medicine in a way that uh we're doing it together because we're actually never doing it alone. We're always connected to our ancestors, but that's like the whole point is to reveal that to ourselves more and more and from different layers. And just as an example, um, some of the ways that we would explore it is through like uh, mythology or energetics were being able to connect with uh, ancestors through the different ways they, they, they communicate, who are our ancestors, and how do our ancestors um, do rituals around death. And so, <laughs> so those are just yeah. kind of like touches, yeah. I have a question. So, for example, like in the Asian American community, some Asian American communities use incense and altars for their ancestors. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about communication? Like, that's maybe an example of a form of communication? Absolutely. So, there are lots of ways that our ancestors have communicated with us and we with them, right? And incense, for an example, with wayfinding. Incense is made up of what? Incense is made out of plants, right? Dried plants. So it's not only us that are communicating with our ancestors. We're actually communing with plants as a portal to connect with our ancestors through the wisdom of transmuting the plants that are collected to become that incense. And when the incense, those multiple plants that are in the incense transmute from herbs into fire, into smoke, there's there's so many aspects of that, right? It's the smell, it's the plant themselves transmuting, opening that portal for us to communicate, to bring back the smells, the very same histories of those plants that have connected us to our ancestors who smelled those same smells, that um, their bodies were impacted by the way that the plant moved through them and then ignites our own DNA and our own like way of responding, right? To be with those plants. So it's like incense is not a simple ritual. (laughs) It's like so nuanced and powerful and amazing. Like there isn't just one kind of incense, right? There's a tradition of incense that are specific collection of ancestors used right or not even used but communed with I like to say because because they weren't using them they were being in relationship with it 
I will never light an incense again the same <laughs> way. I mean, I always felt when I lit an incense or burned an incense, there is a there is something that happens. Like there is a like mm-hmm. like a transition or some kind of like you, the air, everything just switches. But wow, I wow, that's deep. So thank you for that. <laughs> And I'm sure we all have stories of which incenses we used, right? Or that we've been in. Yes, different cultures. Like I know in some cultures they use copal and yes, yes, sage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much, Inabel. So grateful uh, to just absorb the beautiful wisdom and energy of your heart and the spirit of your ancestors. We'd like to invite you to come in now to uh, guide us through a practice or meditation. Hmm. I think a lot of what is going on in the world is our boundaries are constantly being impeded upon. So I'd love to leave you all with a boundary meditation. It's allowing yourself to drop into your breath without trying to control the breath. Just observing your breath, however it's arriving into your body. And however it's leaving, just observing. And then imagining beneath you is a wide tree trunk connected to the earth. And this tree trunk is rooted deeply into the earth. And it knows exactly how to connect to grandmother. And imagine yourself seated or standing on this tree trunk and imagine surrounding your entire being is a big beautiful bubble and this bubble is translucent and made up of all the beautiful colors that you imagine And gently scanning inside of the bubble for anything that is not you. And imagining all of those thoughts, energies, ideas that are not you being released down into the tree trunk, down into the earth to be composted so that all that remains is your own sense of you, your own clarity, wisdom, and radiance. And then in your mind's eye, calling your own name, calling all the parts of yourself back into this bubble. So that all the parts of you are collected into your sense of self. 
so that all that remains inside of this big beautiful bubble is you. And then feeling that knowingness and connection and clarity. Feeling that expansion of yourself taking up all that space. And then surrounding the bubble with a shield of any beautiful texture, color. And this shield protects your bubble all the way up and above the crown of your head. And this shield filters anything that wishes to enter that is not yours and also filters and allows anything that you wish to permeate the bubble like blessings. And then imagining that this bubble and shield releases from the tree trunk and as you move about your day or your evening, you're completely surrounded and protected within your bubble and your shield. And anytime you feel you need to transmute anything that is not yours, returning to this tree trunk and replenishing your connection to yourself. And when you're ready, gently bringing your attention back to the present moment, inhaling, bringing awareness into your feet and your hands. And gently opening your eyes at your own pace. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Inabel. Mm, beautiful. Thank you, thank you. At the end of August, there is a free gift series offering from Inabel, a week-long program in preparation for the Wayfinding Collective research journey. Go to wayfindingcollective.com and click on Amorphous Pathways. You can also learn about Inabel's somatic forgiveness offerings at healingisgiving.com. <laughs>